Hello and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, the show that takes a closer look at songs from the rock and roll era, and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Call, and I'm just doing my thing only an hour earlier or later. I don't know. Remember to check out the website, howgooditis.com, and the Twitter and the Instagram, and of course, the Facebook page, which you can find over at facebook.com slash pod. And please consider supporting the show as a patron for just five bucks a month. You get the weekly newsletter to go along with this mess I'm making right now. And in fact, I have opened up the newsletters from a couple of months ago to give you a preview. So you can click on the link on the website or point your browser to patreon.com slash how good it is to go check that out. This week's trivia is kind of a tricky one for ye. I'd like you to tell me what these groups have in common, and they are the Sir Douglas Quintet, the Buckinghams, and the Bo Brummels. That's the only three I'm going to give you. The Sir Douglas Quintet, the Buckinghams, and the Bo Brummels all have something in common. I will have the answer for you at the end of the show. Elton John's seventh studio album, uh, 1973's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, was an incredibly fast-paced project, especially considering that it's an 18-track double album. The whole thing was written over just a few weeks while Elton John and Bernie Taupin were staying in uh, Kingston, Jamaica. John wanted to record in Jamaica partly because the Rolling Stones had made Goat's Head Soup there, Unfortunately, there was some civil unrest going on by then, so they had to move to France for the actual recording, which only took about two weeks. The album was hugely popular, enough that the closing track, Harmony, was never released as a single because it was getting too close to the release of his next album, Caribou. But Harmony still managed to get airplay as the B-side of Benny and the Jets, and it did manage to make some local charts that way. The album, taken as a whole, sets up a kind of broad metaphor for nostalgia from childhood into young adulthood, and while they weren't specifically designed to be set up as a related trio of songs, you can pretty easily draw a conceptual line through all of the songs on side one, from the instrumental Funeral for a Friend, through Love Lies Bleeding, and then finally into Candle in the Wind. Now, for what it's worth, Funeral for a Friend and Love Lies Bleeding were paired up almost from the very beginning largely because they were both in the same key, and that made it easy to do so, even though they have very different sounds to them. After all, Funeral for a Friend has a lot of layered synthesizers, and Love Lies Bleeding is a more straightforward rocker that turns a romantic breakup into a death metaphor, so it's not a huge stretch for the album side to cool down a little bit with Candle in the Wind, especially in as much as the song is mostly just Elton John and his piano, with very little of anything else. There's some drumming, there's a little electric guitar providing counterpoint, there's some backup singers, and yeah, pretty much it. Dee Murray is credited with playing the bass. You can barely hear him, though. So anyway, on its surface, the song is a tribute to Marilyn Monroe. Now, for those of you below a certain age, Marilyn Monroe was a famous actress and sex symbol who died in 1962 uh, of a drug overdose. And, and so what's up with the opening line? Goodbye, Norma Jean. I thought it was about Marilyn Monroe. Cool down. Marilyn Monroe's real name was Norma Jean Mortensen, although she did usually use her mother's last name, which was Baker. 
And while I'm on this particular kick, if you're a fan of new wave music, you may also recall a band called B-Movie, which performed a song called Marilyn Dreams, which took a more direct approach to the whole topic of Marilyn Monroe and fame ruining her, especially with its closing line. But the big difference between B-Movie and Elton John is that while Marilyn Dreams is absolutely dedicated to Marilyn Monroe, lyricist Bernie Taupin has said that Candle in the Wind itself could have been about anybody famous who died before their time. In fact, he said, his inspiration for the title came from both a book by Alexander Solzhenitsyn and a quotation from Clive Davis that he had read about Janis Joplin. Taupin said, and I quote, it's not that I didn't have respect for her, it's just that the song could just as easily have been about James Dean or Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain. I mean, it could have been about Sylvia Plath or Virginia Woolf. I mean, basically anybody, any writer, actor, actress, or musician who died young and sort of became this iconic picture of Dorian Gray, that thing where they simply stopped aging. It's a beauty frozen in time. He continued, in a way, I'm fascinated with that concept. So it's really about how fame affects the man or woman in the street, that whole adulation thing and the fanaticism of fandom. It's pretty freaky how people really believe that these people are somehow different from us, unquote. And basically he thought the phrase candle in the wind was just a great way to describe somebody's life. Now to me, this whole philosophy makes a lot of sense because we look at celebrities and we think we know what they're about. But the fact is, we, we never really know what other people are, are, what's going on in their heads. We don't often get that look deep, deep down into their hearts, and not even with most of our family members. And Taupin gets straight to the heart of it, how she had to change her name and be someone other than herself. And even in the end, where it seemed like the most important detail about her death was that she was nude at the time. Now, Elton John has said that when he got the lyrics, he didn't have any problem with writing the music for them. He said he also understands the kinds of stress that come with constant attention from the media and thought that Monroe was probably in some kind of pain throughout her life. Candle in the Wind was considered as the first single from the album, and it was released in the UK that way, where it reached number 11 on the charts there, but it was not released as a single in the United States at all. Instead, MCA Records released Saturday Night's All Right for Fightin' as the lead-off single, with the title track as the second single and Benny and the Jets as the third, with, as I mentioned earlier, Harmony as the B-side. And that might have been the end of the story. However... In 1986, Elton John was on a tour in Australia and uh, New Zealand, 
and he recorded a performance in Sydney, Australia, that took place on December 14th. And among the songs he performed was Candle in the Wind with even more sparse instrumentation, being just John on the piano and maybe some other keyboard sounds that were probably provided by Fred Mandel, who was his touring keyboardist at the time. Never knowing who to claim to when the rain set in. Would have liked to know you, but I was just a key. Your candle burned out long before your legend ever did. The recording of that show was released in 1987 as the Live in Australia with the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra album. Uh, three singles came off of that album. They were Your Song, Candle in the Wind, and Take Me to the Pilot. But so far as I know, only Candle in the Wind managed to chart anywhere, making it to number six on the Billboard Hot 100 and number five in the UK the following year, 1988. Now, if you watch the video of this performance, it's not immediately clear what's going on, but Elton John is dressed as Mozart for that part of the show. This was his last concert where he wore any of those crazy costumes that he had been wearing since the early 1970s. He auctioned most of them off after using them for the cover photo of his next album, which was titled Reg Strikes Back. And that might have been the end of the story for this song. However... The song had a minor resurgence in 1990 when Elton John performed it at the fourth edition of the Farm Aid Benefit concert. Now, during that show, John dedicated his performance of the song to a young man named Ryan White, who was one of the first high-profile AIDS patients. White became famous because he was a hemophiliac who had been given contaminated blood, and then he wasn't permitted to return to school following his diagnosis of the disease. Now... HIV is considered more or less manageable these days, so it's kind of tough to get across what a big deal HIV and AIDS was in the 1980s and even into the 90s. But the fact was, you got HIV, you got AIDS, you died. That was that, okay? But because of Ryan White's age and the way he contracted the disease, he became kind of a national poster child for it. At any rate, Elton John dedicated the song to him at Farm Aid 4 on April 7, 1990, and Ryan died the next day at the age of 18. John appeared at Ryan's funeral a few days later, and he played Skyline Pigeon. And that might have been the end of the story. However, on August 31st, 1997, Diana, the Princess of Wales, was killed in an automobile accident. Now, while Diana had divorced Prince Charles sometime earlier, she was still very popular with people who followed the royals, and she was just a well-liked celebrity in general, largely because of her graciousness and, and her humanitarian efforts. Diana was friends with Elton John, had been for several years, and she told him that she identified with some of the lyrics in the song. So as a result of this friendship, the royal family asked Elton John if he would sing at Diana's funeral, and John, in turn, asked Bernie Taupin if he could come up with a new set of lyrics that might draw some parallels between Diana and Marilyn Monroe. Taupin said in an interview that he wanted to make it sound like the entire country was singing the song to her, and that the whole thing kind of fell into place for him pretty quickly once those first few lines were written. John performed the song during the funeral about a week later on September 6th, later on saying in an interview that he was concentrating very hard on playing it as straight as possible so that he wouldn't break down. Now in the nave, Elton John sings Candle in the Wind 
with new words specially written a few days ago by Bernie Taupin. Goodbye, Rose. May you love grow in our hearts. You are the grace that placed yourselves where lives were torn apart. You called out to our country and you whispered to those in pain. Now you belong to heaven and the stars spell out your name. The funeral aired live for two and a half billion viewers and donations for the Diana Princess of Wales Memorial Fund poured in to the tune of 34 million British pounds. Producer George Martin, who had written the arrangements for the other instruments used at the funeral, took the recording, he did some quick work with it, and a single called Candle in the Wind 97 was released. It was dedicated to Princess Diana, and proceeds from the sales of that record went directly to the fund that was another 38 million pounds. So we're talking in the ballpark of about 95 million American dollars going to the Princess Diana Memorial Fund in the span of maybe three, three and a half months. The record made it to number one in the UK and it stayed there for five weeks. But in the US, oh, in the US, it topped the chart even faster, making it to the number one slot on October 11th and holding that position for 14 weeks. Not quite the record for longevity in that position, but pretty close. It was also number one in Germany for seven weeks, in Australia for six weeks, and it topped the chart in nearly every country in which it was released. It is the only single in the rock era to achieve diamond certification in the U.S. for 10 million sales. And it is currently listed as the highest selling single since the charts began in the 1950s and the second highest selling single of all time behind Bing Crosby's version of White Christmas. No wonder the Queen knighted him the next year. footsteps will always fall you along England's greenest hills Your candles burned out long before Your legend ever will And despite all that, Elton has never performed the song with those lyrics since the funeral, and even the radio stations appear to have retired it. Most of them played the 1973 version. Now, Elton John is probably okay with that, given that according to his autobiography, he was a little uneasy about the 1997 version being on the charts for so long. He wrote that it felt as though people were kind of wallowing in Diana's death and they were refusing to move on. And that, my friend, pretty much is the end of the story for this song. Though I never knew you at all You had the grace to hold yourself While those around you crawled Although, I will note that it did get a remix in uh, 2003 as a bonus track for the 30th anniversary edition of Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, in which all of the instrumentation was stripped away, except for Davy Johnstone's acoustic guitar. So all you have is Johnstone's guitar, plus the vocal tracks from Milton John, backed by Johnston, uh, Dee Murray, and Nigel Olson. Even the double tracking on Elton's voice has been taken out. Never knowing who to cling to when the rain set in I would have liked to know you, but I was just a key. You can't.
hand who burned out long before your legend ever did. There have been several covers of the song done, including this instrumental version you're listening to now by The Shadows from 1989. There are two versions by Ed Sheeran. Uh, the first one is in 2014 on a 40th edition super deluxe version of the album, and then again in 2018 as part of a tribute album to Elton John and Bernie Taupin. And if you're curious, there's a punk version by the band Leatherface from 1990 and a folk version by Sandy Denny, which she did in 1977. Plus, there are a few others out there which I will leave for you to find, because hey, I can't do everything for you. And now it is time to answer today's trivia question. Back on page two, I asked you what these artists have in common, and they are the Sir Douglas Quintet, the Bo Brummels, and the Buckinghams. The answer is that they are all U.S. bands which adopted British-sounding names. As a direct result of the British invasion of the early 1960s, some bands adopted a more British sound to their repertoire, such as the Birds, while others took on a more anti-British stance, largely in the way they were dressed, like Paul Revere and the Raiders or Gary Puckett. But these three bands, Sir Douglas Quintet, Bo Brummels, and Buckinghams, took on names that would lead people to believe that they were from the U.K., the Buckinghams were from the Chicago area, and they took the name partly from a nearby park, but also because it sounded British. We talked about that way, way back in one of the first few episodes almost three years ago. Um, the Sir Douglas Quintet was based in San Antonio, Texas, and they have a definite Tex-Mex rock sound, uh, but that name clearly has a British ring to it. And while the Bo Brummels were from San Francisco and had a sound to match, they got their name from the 19th century English dandy of the same name. They chose that name first because it sounded English, and second, and this is a story alphabetically, they would be very close to the Beatles in the record stores. Now, to be fair, the members of the band dispute that assertion about the alphabetical thing, saying they weren't even sure how to spell it at first, they just liked the way it sounded. And that is a full lid on another edition of How Good It Is. If you're enjoying the show, please take the time to share it with somebody or maybe even leave a rating somewhere. And now you can support the show over at patreon.com slash howgooditis. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram at howgooditis. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod, or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where you might find a few extra bits. Thank you, as usual, to Podcast Republic for featuring the show. Next time around, we're going to find out how good it is when she knocks three times. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Next time.